do it for a reason. Primarily, I'm the reason. So that I don't forget the reason, the, the reason for the season. Because there's so much that goes on. So we break from our sermon series. We've been preaching on Luke. We break. We go to Advent. What does Advent mean? From the Latin word adventus, meaning coming, the first coming, the second coming. We look back. We look ahead. So we look to a timetable to focus on the reason for the season. That is generally four weeks. How did they come up with four weeks? Symbolically, each week represents a block of 100 years because there's a four, four and 25 about between the Old and the New Testament, right? The Old Testament ends. There's about 425 years before the New Testament. Each week of Advent represents a block of 100 years. So now we have four weeks to do what? Focus on Jesus. And that's what we do. And we preach messages designed to do that. Also, just so you know, in the blog, we actually, in the blog, the last week, Monday, we, we blog every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday were the last three sermons in the blog. There's the blog if you want to sign up for that or send it to somebody. And then tomorrow, Monday, will be this sermon. It's not the whole sermon. It's just an overview. And it captures the four focuses of what we were talking about during Advent. And that's in the blog. But look over here to your right. Maybe you grew up in a home where you had an Advent candle wreath. You had an Advent calendar. You're familiar. Maybe you're not. What does it mean? There's a lot of symbolism. Very simply, the candles light in a dark world, right? Jesus says, I am the light of the... All right, so we can figure that one out. Candle colors could be different depending on the denomination or the church itself. There are three purple, a pink, and a white. The white, as you know, represents Jesus. We light that on Christmas Eve. Backing out of that, we have the first purple was the candle of preparation prophecy. That was the first purple. The second purple, the candle of peace. The third, joy. Pink was joy. And this week, the last purple is the candle of love, which ties perfectly into today's message. And all of that is just helping us to focus on Jesus. The wreath, without talking about the construction, the wreath is round. It's, it's a circle. So like a ring in a ceremony for weddings, the ring is symbolic of a few things. The ring has no beginning and no end. So it's symbolic of the eternality of God. But also what we want to focus on in that wreath understanding is the immortality of the soul. So all of that brings us to the point of why Advent? So that we can shift our focus away from everything else and put it on the reason for the season. Tuesday night we'll have a special Christmas sermon. Listen to Linus. And then next week we'll have a year-end sermon and then we'll go back to Luke, Lord willing, at the beginning of the new year. Okay? The why of Christmas. We've preached on the when, the who, and the how. Today will be the why. Two passages, Jeremiah 31.3 and John 3.16. They'll be on the screen. One from the old, one from the new. There's a variety of places we could go, but we picked Jeremiah 31.3 and then John 3.16. You ready? Let's take a look at those two passages. Hear now the word of God. Prophet Jeremiah said, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Wow. Do you ever think about that? Pause for just a second. Do you ever think about that? An everlasting love. Do you know what that means? There was never a time where God didn't love you. Boy, you better let that set in. Never a time. Wow. And then, of course, John 3, 16, everybody kind of knows that one. Even people outside the church, they know that one. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay? See the two passages? One old, one new brings us to what we'll see in a moment, the why of Christmas. Okay? May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and foul aboard. Let's pray. Father, it's no action that we're here today, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people. That all within the sound of my voice will be in a saving relationship with Christ. Father, we'd ask that you give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Jesus. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. <clears throat> Under the title, The Why of Christmas, <clears throat> what are we going to look at? Three things. Under the why, what it was not. We're going to look at it by way of the negative, what it wasn't. And without doing that, it can be confusing because already you're thinking in your mind what the reason was. And I'm going to show you that's not it. Then we're going to go to number two, what it was. And all of it will come out of Scripture, right? Then finally, number three, the most important aspect is what? Was it to you? doesn't really matter what the reason is. What's the why unless it's to you? Remember, salvation is what? It's individual. It's not a group salvation. Now, you're saved individually, and then you're saved to community, so you're saved to a body of believers. You're saved to be part of a family of faith. You're saved to be worshiping with your family on, on the weekends. I get that, but it's an individual salvation. You go up in a Christian home, doesn't make you a Christian. Individually, you come to Christ. You are drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you profess individual faith in Christ. So was it to you? I don't know. Let's take a look. I'm going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. You ready? Number one. By way of the negative, <clears throat> what the why was not. One word, three letters, <clears throat> sin. It wasn't sin. I'm going to show you why. Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. After the service this morning, after all the services, I go to the fellowship hall. So if you're visiting, come in so we can fellowship, hang out for a little bit. But there was a lady who came and said, I, I, I hadn't thought about that. There's a lot of things that, that we don't think about. I hadn't thought about it either until somebody helped me think through it. I have good teachers. This is the sin that we know about with Adam and Eve, but there's something behind that, something in front of that. What, what, what is it? There's something going on in the garden. Sin's already there. We have this exchange, right? We have the revelation of God, and God spoke, but now we have the second revelation in the beginning of chapter 3. So we've got to figure out what, what's that all about. Now, we can't unpack it all, but we're at least going to give you an understanding, which is going to show you the why of Christmas, okay? So now let's take a look. Sin is, is the what for. Watch this. This was the what for Christmas. What is Christmas for? Ready? Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. What, what was the reason that Jesus came? Say, to save his people from their Okay, that's the what for, right? You got it? Easy. Walk right through it. 
and we'll make it real simple so it's not like a seminary class. But it, it's, it's deep to, to understand what's going on here. Sin was already in the world. It, it was in, in, in the created order. It was there somewhere. So what's that all about? Now, scholarship is not in complete agreement all the time on anything, of course. But there's a couple passages we're going to look at in the Old Testament that seem to suggest not only an earthly bad king, but, but the, the, the heavenly king, something that's beyond earth. We're going to see how it all ties together with Isaiah and Ezekiel. And I'm going to show you how all this fits. And then we're going to come to the second point, and we're going to see what the why of Christmas is. Okay? You ready? We're going to look at earthly kings, and we're going to look at something from heaven that, that went wrong. Isaiah and Ezekiel, there's a fall that is symbolically described. And this is something that we need to, to actually understand. In Isaiah and Ezekiel, we're going to see the representation of sin that is already in the universe before, before the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, In Isaiah chapter 14, now I don't give you the whole passage because we don't have time. But in Isaiah chapter 14, if you start at the beginning and get to, chap- and get to verse 4, from 4 to 11, you're going to read about a real king. And that real king is the king of Babylon. Okay? And that's a real pagan king. That's a real bad king. And that's legit. That's real. So in the first horizon, what we call the first audience that this was written, the prophet Isaiah is writing about a real king. But then something shifts. And he's no longer writing about this earthly king. He's writing about something else that's bad. So stay with me. You ready for this? It's important that you see this. How you have fallen. So now he shifts. He shifts from Nebuchadnezzar. And now he shifts to something. We've got to figure out what that something is. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Okay, that's our first clue. What's the morning star? Do you, you, heard of the, you heard of the name Lucifer? That's what Lucifer means, morning star. Okay, you with me? Now we're going to track. Ready? Son of the dawn. All right. <clears throat> that's a little deeper. You have been cast down to earth. Okay, that's not an earthly king, so we got something going on in the heavenlies. You who once laid low the nations, you said, now watch this. Watch these personal pronouns. What's the letter in the middle of the word sin? Say the letter. Right, right. What's the letter in the middle of the word pride? Same I. It's the same I all the time. What's the root cause of every sin? People say, well, you tell me that somebody does this and they're going to hell for this, and somebody does this and they're going to hell for that, somebody does this and they're going to hell for that. No, 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 no. I make it easy. It's the sin beneath the sin. What? It's the sin beneath the sin. What's the sin beneath every sin? Say it. Pride. Pride. Every time you do something you ought not to do, you know why it is? It's your pride. It's the I. It's the I that's in the dead center of sin and the dead center of pride. It's I. Watch this now. Watch this, this morning star. You said in your heart, I will. Five times this morning star submits his will over God's. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights in the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Five times he inserts his will. The sin of pride. Okay? So we had a shift. We had a shift from Nebuchadnezzar to Lucifer. 
And then Lucifer, his name gets changed to what? We go from morning star, Lucifer, Lucifer means morning star, to Satan, which means what? Adversary, okay? So now we have this shift. But that's not it. Ezekiel's going to do the same thing for us. We're going to see this again in Ezekiel. We're going to see it all put together exactly the same way that the prophet Isaiah does it. Ezekiel 28, 14 to 17. Now, you have to go back. You go back. If, we didn't do it here. We don't have time. But if you go back to the beginning of Ezekiel, Go to Ezekiel, Dan, you go to verses 1 through 11, and you're going to read about who? King of Tyre. That's real. That's a real pagan king. But what is the power and the force behind Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Tyre? Those kids, what's the power? Yes, yes. You see this? You're figuring this all out. It's really easy. Just connect the dots, okay? So we now see this pagan king of Tyre really infused, if you will, by the dark powers of, of the demonic world. But now Ezekiel shifts his focus to the real problem. What's, what's the real problem? The real problem is the spiritual powers of darkness, right? For husbands and wives, guess what? The enemy is not on the other side of your bed. For brothers and sisters, your enemy is not in the other bedroom. The enemy is the spiritual powers of darkness that are real. People say to me often when we're in the community and we're talking about Jesus, I, I, I thought you were an, an intellect and you believe in spiritual dark forces? I, you still believe in the boogeyman? No, I don't believe in the boogeyman. But I believe in the devil. I believe it's real. You want to know how I know? It'd be the only way for me to explain how messed up you are. You're going to take responsibility for that? There's something going on out there that we need to acknowledge. Can't put your head in the sand and say it doesn't exist. Right? It's like getting up in the morning, looking out to your garden, saying there's no weeds, there's no weeds, there's no weeds, and never going out to tend your garden. What happens after doing that for about six months? The weeds take over the garden. There's weeds there. Deal with the weeds. There's dark forces in the world. Deal with that. So now, watch. You were anointed a guardian cherub. That's not human. That's a whole different nature. For I, Now, here's the better eye, right? We always go eye, 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 but now watch the, the only eye that really matters. Now, God has an eye. For I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God and walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless. That's not a human king. There's no blameless human king. So this is beyond the human king. In your ways, in your day, and you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and sin. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you. You're going to see this. And now all of it's going to make sense. Because you remember a passage in the New Testament. I'm going to show it to you in a sec. O guardian cherub from among the fiery stones, your heart became, oh, circle the word, proud. What? What's the key to every single sin? Pride. What, what was the sin in the Garden of Eden for Adam? And he, what, what, it's pride. What, why, did they, why did they do what they did? Pride. They didn't want to submit to God. They wanted to do what I wanted to do. They, they weren't happy being made in the image of God. They wanted to be God. It's always pride. 
Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. It's a beautiful creature. In the heavenly realm, the cherubs that were worshiping God every moment of their existence. So I threw you, uh-oh, I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Okay, so you see both passages, and they're both kind of identical. And scholarship is somewhat in agreement, at least that it, the original audience and the original writing in the passage is about a real earthly king. The king of Babylon in Isaiah and the king of Tyre in Ezekiel. But then it shifts to the power, the spiritual power behind those pagan kings. And it shifts to the real problem in the universe. Okay? Are we clear? Okay, let's keep going. Here's the passage that I know you're familiar with. We preached it a while back in Luke. What does this mean? It doesn't mean anything unless you understand the whole context. So Luke, and, and you won't find it in the context of the passage. That's why you have to take the passage and understand it in light of all of what? Scripture. So you have to look at it in, in, in the context of all of Scripture. So Jesus says what in Luke 10, 18? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <clears throat> what is that? Just the way that's set up in Luke 10, you have to have some other understanding in order to really grasp what's going on. So those who had the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish nation understood what? There was a dark force that was out there that existed, that was real. They understood sin. They understood sin nature. They understood the fall of man. They understood something happened before the fall of man. So what does Jesus say? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But that's only true from the perspective of what? Him being a man. Because what's the other perspective? What could he have said in that? I didn't just see Satan fall like heaven. I gave him the boot. Because I was there. And when Satan messed it up, when that old morning star messed it up, I gave him the boot. And out he went. So you have to see it in the context of what's come before. There's sin in the universe. Okay? We good? Now, what does Jesus do in this context? He sends out the 72. And what do the 72 do? They cast out demons in Jesus' name, which demonstrates that Jesus has come to bind the strong man, Satan. What is this the picture of? See, now you come to the context of Luke 10. And right, the ministry's amping up, and he sends out the 72, and what do they go out and do? And they come back, and they go, Jesus, even the demons submit to us. Why is that important? Because Jesus had to be able to prove and demonstrate, based on the Old Testament prophecy, that he was what? Stronger than the strong man. Right? Not enough for him to come and just give sight to the blind, and the lame can walk. Can you beat the one that messed this whole thing up? Are you stronger than him? So now he sends his disciples out, and they do what? Cast out demons. This is the eschatological, big word, very simple meaning, the end. The very end. There's an end. There's an end to time, yes? Then there's eternity, whatever that looks like. At the end, all of the enemies will be put under his feet. And, and, and all of the enemies will be cast down. So in that eschatological picture, there'll be no more demons. And Revelation 21, 4 says there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more sickness. So all of it's coming to an end. This was a foreshadow of it. 
When Jesus came and did all those miracles, it was a foreshadow. It was a picture. He gave the power to his disciples. It was a picture. It was a picture of what was coming. This is the picture of the kingdom. We caught a glimpse of the kingdom of God, which is coming. Okay? So we clear? In Revelation, I believe it's chapter 12, we see that this imagery reappears. And it's really strongly developed. And what do we see in Revelation 12? That the dragon is cast out. And probably the best, because we're going to get to this at the very end, and you need to understand how this fits. Steve Brown really probably puts it in its best light that I've ever heard. When you think of the dragon, the dragon has been defeated. Yes? But his tail still swishes. And it swishes you. And me. And messes with us. Some of you know that better than others. And I know you personally. I know it swishes a lot in your life. But he's been defeated. Sin no longer reigns, but it still remains. It's, still, it's not completely gone. Okay? But, let be, let be clear, sin no longer has the ultimate power over you. No temptation, no temptation has seized you that is not common to all men that you do not have the power to rise above, yet we know we do what? We, we give in. We do. It's important to know this when we get to the end. Okay? Now we're going to go to Hebrews. We're going to see this together. We're going to see what's happening here. So we have this fall. We have angelic beings, right? About a third. It says the scriptures in the Revelation, about a third were booted. Okay, now what's going on? Ready? Hebrews 2, 5 to 8. Here's an echo of Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Make sure you have that in your mind. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. Now we go to Psalm 8. This is it. What is man that you are mindful of them, the son of man that you care for him? You made them lower, a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Why is that important, that last phrase, under his feet? What does that mean? You have to have the context because you'd miss it. If, and, and, and then if you miss it, then you miss really the deeper picture of the why of Christmas. In the ancient world, to have something under your feet meant dominion. So you, if, you, if there's something under your feet, you have dominion. Okay, so now there's an echo. You hear something, don't you? Yes, you do. What do you hear? You hear the creation narrative. And what do you hear in Genesis 1? And God said to them to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion. Uh-oh. So what is this? This is a reestablishment of the creation and cultural what? Mandate. That man, not angels, will have dominion. Everything will ultimately be put under whose feet? Yours. By the power, by the power of God from on high. Okay, so there's the promise. Not to angels, to you. Then there's a break in the Hebrew passage, and then it picks it up again in verse 16. Ready? Resuming the contrast. For surely it is not angels he helps. Wait a minute. What does that mean? Okay, listen, listen, listen. There's already sin in the universe. Who sinned? The angels. But Jesus didn't come to get them. Stay with me. Got to put it all together. But Abraham's descendants, who's Abraham's descendants? You, the spiritual seed, the spiritual seed of Abraham. 
For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. What did Jesus come as? An angel? Say no. A man? Say yes. Okay. So he had to be what? He, he, he had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. And then he might make atonement. Atonement. That's a big word. It's important we understand this. Let's be clear. What does atonement mean? There's a deeper word for it that you don't hear much in church. It's called propitiation. Don't even try to write that down because I'm just going to make it clear what it means. God is angry. God has wrath. and God is judging God. So Jesus has come to make atonement, to propitiate. What does that mean? To remove, to remove the wrath of God as far as the east is from the... Right, right. Why? God is angry. No, don't miss this, please. We use this phrase, right? Love the sinner and hate the... Right? You, you, you better be good at that. But God's angry at both. You, you, you don't miss that. Okay? Remember, God was angry at Moses when Moses messed it up. Not angry like we would be angry that we, we, we would just cut somebody off, but angry to do what? To discipline. So stay with me. Here we go. For the sins of his people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay. So now, we see this under his feet. The cultural mandate is back. We see that Satan's been hurled down out of heaven. We see that there's sin in the universe. So now we see what? If the reason of why is not sin, what is the reason? Because you think God came to destroy the works of the devil. That's okay. That's a good thing. But that's not enough. It's deeper. What is it? One word. Four letters this time. Instead of three. Love. Back to our two passages. You ready? And then we close. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Do you know what that means? Do you have any understanding of what that really, 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 really means? Forever and ever and ever and ever you have been loved by him. You just didn't know it. So that's one passage in the old, and then we go to the one in the new. You ready for the one in the new? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So now we have to ask the question. What is the question? Why did God not come after fallen angels? Now we have to be careful with this. So all I'm going to do is my best to work through this. And I don't, I, 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 I don't dabble in the imagination of man. I, I work through the revelation of God. But I think if we, if we carefully examine the scriptures, I think we can come up with a few conclusions. Because you have to ask the question, the angels fell, why doesn't he go get the angels? Man falls, he comes for man. Immediately in the garden, in Genesis 3.15, before the curse is even announced, God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, and you will strike his heel, and, and he will crush your head. Women have no seed. We know it can't come from the woman, so we know that there's something going on here that's really deep. And this is before the curse. So the seed, we know, has to come from outside of the woman, above and beyond the woman, her seed. And that seed is a capital S. That's Jesus. So the Lord is promised. 
from the beginning right after the fall. But we have to ask the question, why did God not come after fallen angels? And it's going to give us a really deep biblical principle that we need to get. Their guilt was greater. It seems to suggest to me, anyway. Why? I'm going to give you three points. There are many, but I'll just give you three because we're running out of time. No excuse. What do you mean by no excuse? There was no temptation. Was there a temptation in the garden for Adam and Eve? Say yes. Yes. There was no temptation in heaven. Why did they sin? I don't know why. But there was no excuse for it. Now, we're not excusing Adam and Eve. Don't, 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 don't miss that. We're not excusing them. But we're saying there's a difference between the fallen angels and fallen man. There's a difference. We're going to look at three points. They had no excuse. It's perfect. Two, there was personal participation. Now, make sure you hear me well on this. Or come see me in the fellowship hall when we're done. Did all of the fallen angels personally participate in the sin? Yes, they were there. All of them were there. All of them were there as a group. They personally participate, and they all get the boot. Did all of mankind personally participate in the first sin? Say no. No. But you're still guilty. Why? Just the way it works. I don't know. It's God's plan. And I'm not going to be here to mess with God. It's called original sin. And it's passed on by natural birth. So we're all children of Adam. And here's the deeper point. Adam is called the federal head. What does that mean? Adam was chosen by God. So here's the point that people will say to me. Okay, well, Adam sinned and Eve sinned, but if I was there, I wouldn't sin. Oh, you wouldn't have. Riddle me this, Batman. You're better than they are. So Adam represents all of us. And if Adam fell, we'd all fall, right? So Adam falls for all of men. But we all didn't personally participate. So it seems like their guilt is a little greater, doesn't it? Make you feel a little better? Good. Okay, stay with me. One more. Seems like there's a little bit more light. There's, 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 they walk with God in the cool of the day, but the angelic beings, moment by moment, they seem to have more light. So they have all of this going on, and they fall. Their guilt was greater, which leads us to what? Here it is. Setting forth the justice of God. Would God have been just to provide help for a guiltier group? I don't think so. Could have saved them too if he wanted to, but he, he didn't. But do you understand how the justice now then comes forth? And God is a God of what? Justice. So he leaves them in their sin. Many are bound right now waiting for the judgment day and Satan's roaming and a bunch of demons are roaming. We don't know how many, but they're all going around, right? But they're all under the control of the Almighty. Satan even can visit with God still. We saw that in Job, right? Have you, have you, have you, have you, have you checked my, my servant Job? But they're under God's control. You can come this far and no further. But Jesus doesn't come for them. It's raising the bar here for a moment. It's telling you something about you. Setting forth the justice of God. Here's the key. Scripture says there's a love that would make you, give you two points, spouse of the Son of God, imagine that, and the bride of the bridegroom, which means what? You are advanced above angels, for God so loved you. Man, if that doesn't rock your world, if that doesn't light the fire of your faith, your wood's wet.
You're advanced above angels. He came after you. That is why everything works toward your salvation. Did you know that? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Just notice real quickly, because especially in every service, there's always somebody who's, there's always a number of somebody's who have a, you know, deeply broken and hurting hearts. So we want to be very careful. This can be twisted and misunderstood. It doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that. There's a lot of really bad stuff, yes? You ever have bad stuff happen to you? Happens all the time. It doesn't say that, 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 that all things are good. It says that all, all things will work together for your good. And that includes a lot of the bad stuff. So what does that mean? That means that everything is working towards your redemption. Everything that you're going through. Everything that you've been through. Everything that you're going to go through. All of Scripture is designed to do what? You know, when I was a brand new believer and I started to get a little bit of education, I used to just, I couldn't wait to, to, to talk to people who believed in, in evolution and use Genesis 1 and 2, right, to combat evolution. Man, I don't do any of that anymore. First of all, I don't waste any time with people who think we, people who think we evolved from, 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 from apes and monkeys. Can you believe that? Right? So, so here's what I say to them. Then, no, they, they believe that. I say, then how would you explain to me there's still apes and monkeys? They didn't evolve all the way? Are they still in process? <laughs> then I go further. I said, you tell me about that monkey I used to be and I evolved. Tell me about that tail I lost. I'd rather have that tail. I'd like to sit right in the middle of the shopping center when my wife is going around and shopping. That tail helped me sit down. And when I come to the front door and my hands are full of stuff, I'd like that tail to be able to come out and open that door for me. I don't consider that to be evolution at all. I think that's messed up. You tell me I lost my tail. I think you lost your mind. Because you haven't even thought through this. Genesis 1 and 2, I don't even consider that to deal with evolution. You know what it is? It's the backdrop of your redemption. What do I mean by that? I'm just going to give you an example. In the beginning, God created everything. So God created Right, birds and, 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 and foxes. Do you think Jesus, stay with me. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Do you think Jesus, while he was teaching, and all of a sudden he heard a flock of birds go over his head, he went, mm, man, maybe I could use them as a sermon illustration. You know that birds have nests, and then he sees a little fox run by. I can use that as an illustration, and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. No, 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 no. No, he creates the birds in the beginning and the fox in the beginning, knowing he's going to use them as a sermon illustration later on. Everything was created for your redemption. Don't look at one and two anymore to beat the evolutionists. Don't do that. Read it to see the backdrop of the salvation plan that God had for you from before the foundation of the world because God so loved you. You with me? Oh, this is good stuff, isn't it? Let's close. Question, was it to you? Was it? Here's, this is, oh, this is good. I promise this will be worth the price of admission. John 21, 12 to 15, the backdrop Jesus was died, was crucified, dead, buried, rose. He's on the beach. 
Seven disciples are fishing, catching nothing. Fellas, you have any fish? Throw your net to the other side. All the fish swim into the net. They know it's Jesus. They get to the shoreline. Peter jumps out of the boat, gets to the shoreline, and they're having breakfast. Peter had already denied Jesus. Watch this. Don't miss it. Jesus said, Simon, son of John. When was the last time Jesus said, Simon, son of John? You think that's just there? There's nothing that's, that's unintentional in Scripture. Where does Jesus address Peter as Simon, son of John? Right after his Christological confession in Matthew 16. What does Jesus say? Who, who, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. And he says, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking for the whole group, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says what? Simon, son of John. What did Jesus just do? What did Jesus just do to Peter? Peter is devastated. He had denied his Lord. What did Jesus just do? He connected Peter to his Christological confession. And he says, Peter, don't you remember? Don't you remember what, Peter, don't you remember what you said? Don't you remember what you believed? Okay, so now keep going. Do you love me more than these? We have to ask the question, what are these? Scholars are not in agreement but I'll go with this group of scholarship. I think these are the guys sitting there. Why? What, is, what does Peter say on the night he was betrayed? Even if all of these fall away, I never will. So he knows that he has fallen away. And he knows he's the worst of all of them that fell away because he denies three times. The rest of them just ran and hid. He didn't just run and hid. He denies Jesus three times. So Jesus says, do you love me more than these? All these guys that you said that you were going to be stronger than, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John. You understand why he's saying that now? He's bringing him back to his Christological confession. Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. We're not going to get into feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. It's all the same. Just leave it there. The third time he said to him, why three times? Watch this. Simon, son of John, Christological confession. Do you love me? Peter was hurt. Why was he hurt? Because those three times connected deeply to the three times he denied him. What was Jesus doing? I'm going to show you in a moment. Some people call it he was cleaning the slate. I'm going to show you he wasn't cleaning the slate. Stay with it. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what did he do? Ready for this? You can look to either side, wherever you're sitting. You can look to your left or you can look to your, to your left and look at the side. See the boards up there? Imagine that board is a slate. That's a slate. It's a big board. And on that slate, we have all this white writing. So imagine Peter. Peter's on that board and he's got this white writing. And what does it say? Deny deny, deny. So he has this slate, and he has these three denials. And Jesus says, okay, do you love me? Once, boom, he draws a line, he erases the first one. Do you love me? Second time, yes, I love you. He erases the second one. Third one, do you love me? He erases the third one. So people now believe, and people in the church today believe, well, Jesus has cleaned my slate. Is that good news? No. It's a trick question. Don't mess that up. See, you're on video. You're gonna be, I'm going to go back and look and see who said yes, it's good news. It's not good news. Why is it not good news? If all Jesus did was clean your slate, guess what? Your slate still exists for God to keep score. God so loved you so much, the slate has been broken. That's what he did for Peter on the shoreline. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Boom, it's gone. I'm not keeping score. It's over. And there are millions paralyzed in the church today who believe God's still keeping score. 
There are millions in the church who live in their past rather than learn from the past. Want to feel guilty and guiltier and guiltier than guilty. Just so I can feel like I'm kind of atoning for my own sin. Stop it! He paid for that sin. He paid for every single one of those sins. And that slate has not been cleaned. It's been broken. God isn't keeping score. Who's keeping score? Satan's keeping score. And you're keeping score and you've got to stop. Stop it. Do you love him? And that's the end of it. Do you mess it up? Yes. Why? Because you're still a sinner in need of a savior every moment of every day. But do you love him? There's no slight. An everlasting love that sought you, caught you, bought you, and now has brought you into a living, loving, intimate, personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your truth? The why of Christmas can't be sin. Sin was already here. The why of Christmas was love for you. Not not only has God always loved you, as his son hung on a cross, through his cracked lips, He spoke your name. She's mine. He's mine. She's mine. That love is the only thing that will change you and this world. Nothing else. Nothing else. For God so Loved you. If you don't know that truth, you just heard the gospel. God is drawing you with that everlasting love. He's drawing you to himself by grace through faith. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Put your doing down. Come to Christ. And know this truth. Even though you're going to mess it up again, there's no slate, but you're going to mess it up again. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You can't separate yourself from Jesus through your sin. Satan can't separate you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's how you conquer sin. Knowing it's already been conquered through the cross of Christ. Come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that there's got to be somebody here today. And we know there are many by way of the internet who have never surrendered control to Christ. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Oh God. Father God, we ask right now that you, with your everlasting, eternal love, in the quiet of their own hearts right now, whoever has never, ever surrendered to Christ, may they say these simple words, the words of the tax collector in the temple. Say these now with me. God, 
Be merciful to me, the sinner. Saying those words by grace through faith, trusting in Christ alone and no longer in yourself. You're his. You've been his from before the foundation. You just didn't know it. Now you do. And Father, for the rest, some sitting in here who have walked for a half a century, help us to understand you're no longer keeping score. Oh God, free at last. Free to walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And all these things we thank you for in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Do you all stand with us? child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap asleep whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch our keeping this this is Christ the King whom shepherds, God, and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, compares in king to own the king of kings salvation brings let loving hearts enthrone him raise raise the song on Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. This, this is Christ, the King, who shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. For God so loved Substitute your name in there. Know that truth. Let me give you one final piece that makes it clear the slate no longer exists. God's not keeping score. 
You would think that Peter, after denying him three times and being restored on the beach, that Peter just, he's got it now. He's not going to mess it up. What happens in Acts chapter 15? Paul has to bring Peter before the council to rebuke him. For there was a time Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when the Jews, the circumcision party, shows up, he, he withdraws from them and sins again. What does that tell you? It's a constant battle that we will face until we get to the other side. But God's not keeping score. The slate is destroyed. Your heart should break when you break the heart of God. Confess your sin. But then rise up out of the ashes of defeat and get on doing what God has called you to do. Some people get so destroyed by their own sin and they can't move forward. That's the devil. Listen, let me make this perfectly clear. Jesus was perfect, yes? One came through this world perfect, yes? If perfection won't please everyone, imperfection certainly won't. Get busy doing what God has called you to do. Why? Because of His love. His love for you. An eternal love that died on a cross that you might have eternal life with Him. Let's go tell Him. Receive now the benediction of our God and I'll see you in the fellowship hall. Oh, before the benediction... Some, I forgot to mention it after the first service. Some asked, what's going on in the back there with these, these strings with Joshua and Sam? Sammy, stand up. Sammy. They've been, they've been around here a long time, and those are, those are just great boys. Thank you guys for being here and being a part of it. Receive now the benediction of our God. I'll see you in the fellowship hall. And now... May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. There you go. There you go, Garrett.